start out by uh, welcoming you, saying we're so glad that you're here. Today has already been an awesome day. We had great services here this morning, and we also had amazing services in Ahwatukee for the first time, bringing their message there via video, and it was amazing, and God is doing great things here and there. Um, they had even more people at church today than last week, and it just keeps getting better. So we're starting a new series this weekend called The Elephant in the Room, and we're talking about the elephant in the room. Really what we're doing throughout this series is addressing the awkward topics, things that we all think about, but we don't always know what to say about these things, because maybe, you know, it's just awkward, or I don't know what to say, or I don't know how to handle it. That's what we're going to really be doing throughout these next weeks, and tonight we're starting with this important subject, the subject of racism. Racism. Now, it's impossible for me to conceive what it's like to be part of an ethnic minority group because I am a white boy, okay? And that's all I've ever been. So I, I can't put myself in someone else's shoes and fully understand what it's like to be them. But we're going to look at God's word and we're going to benefit from this talk, I believe. Um, I did have the fortunate benefit of getting to be a part of the United States Army. And in the, in the military, you get to be around a wider range of diversity. And that was a real privilege, that experience of working with people um, and, and being side by side with them. And there's something about going to war with somebody where all of a sudden you focus on the most important things, which is you have my back, I'll have your back. I don't care where you're from, right? And, and that's really what matters. And in the military, I had this interesting experience, anyone that's ever been deployed to a foreign country where you live for an extended period of time amongst people who are different than you. And coming from America as a Caucasian man, where I'm part of the majority, um, it was an eye-opening experience to now be in the minority in another culture and to look different than everyone and to feel, to some extent, on guard and a little bit nervous being around people and aware of the fact that I was different. And and that was kind of an eye-opening experience. Not that that qualifies me as an expert on racial reconciliation, but it did open my eyes to a little bit of insight, I think, what it could be like to maybe be in that position in every day, day in, day out. I don't know exactly what it's like, but as I was preparing for this message, I got to talk with 15 to 20 people I interviewed who were parts of different ethnic groups, African-American, Latino, Hispanic, Native American, Asian, and, get to, and I got to ask questions and, and gain insight. And it was a great blessing to me getting to hear different people's perspective and stories. And that was a real blessing. Um, and I believe that some of the things that God is going to speak to us tonight are going to really help us to love one another the way that God loves. And I believe that this message is a culture-shifting message for our church and the beginning of a future of greater diversity and love in our church. Amen? Amen. Listen to me. Racism is a problem in America today. It is. It is a problem. It's a big problem. But the good news is that Jesus is the answer to this problem. 
Let's go to creation. Starting out in Genesis chapter 1, we see that God spoke and he said, let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature. So why is all humanity equally valuable and precious to God? Because all of us were made in God's image and in his likeness, reflecting his nature. So everyone, regardless of skin color, ethnicity, origin, um, we're all equally valuable to God because we were all made by God. That's an important thing to understand. In Genesis 3.20, we see that um, then the man Adam named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. So Eve is the mother of all who live. And I found this quote from a professor at MIT, Douglas Road, and he wrote this article in the Nature International Weekly Journal of Science. He's not a Christian, but here's what he said in terms of genetics. Each present-day human has exactly the same set of genealogical ancestors. I love when science catches up to the Bible. Amen. It's always so fun, right? Thanks, science, for telling us what God told us thousands of years ago in his word. How's it feel to catch up, right? We've been waiting for you to get here. I love it. It always, it always happens. So we know that everyone has descended from Adam and Eve who God created. Before scientists even knew what DNA was, the word of God says we all descend from the same ancestor. I think this is, this is helpful. And when you meet someone who looks different than you, or comes from a different culture than you, you can remind yourself, we share a mother, right? It's not your brother from another mother, it's your brother from a common mother, right? We all come from the same place. And according to God's design, we were designed to live in perfect relationship with God and with one another. The problem is that sin entered the world. You read about in Genesis chapter 3, and sin corrupts God's perfect design. And what we see is that we were designed for unity, but divided by sin. God designed us to live in perfect unity with him, in a perfect relationship with him, but sin divided us from God, and Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. And then what we see as we continue to read in Scripture is that sin also divided us from one another. So we were divided from God and divided from one another by sin. And we get a little bit of insight into that in Genesis chapter 11. I don't know if maybe some of you have ever read this passage before, but it's interesting in regard to our topic. Genesis 11 says, at one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in, in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone, and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with, with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. Now, this is an interesting story, right? 
And at face value, maybe you think like, well, I don't really get it. Why would God confuse their language? Why would he do that? Seemed like they were all united, having a good old time building that city. People all over the world, join hands, build a city of, right? And like, God was like, God was like, no. And see, the reason that he did that is because they were following in the footsteps of sinfulness and all of sinful, rebellious um, people who've gone before them. It started with Lucifer in heaven saying, I can be powerful independently of God, and that's why he was cast out of heaven. And then we have Adam and Eve in the garden saying, we can be powerful independently of God. That's why they chose to eat um, from the fruit that they were forbidden to eat from. And then we see again these people saying, we're going to build a city, and we're going to make ourselves great. And God said, I'm not playing that game. So you can all scatter. You're not going to think that you're all awesome independently of me. I'm going to scatter you. And then what we see is that according to God's design, um, they, what we see is with Adam and Eve, they had within their genetic code the ingredients for what would become all of our distinguishable physical characteristics. And as people were scattered amongst, uh, throughout the world by God and they congregated and segregated over several generations, certain physical traits become dominant. And that's why over time, over generations, you get people, um, groups who look different, have different skin color, different shaped eyes, different color hair, different heights, because um, of being scattered by God. Now, that's what we see, and, and I think that's an important thing to understand because people will say, and, and their intention is good, they'll say, well, I'm colorblind. I don't see color. And like, your heart's in the right place if you say that. But it's even better, I think, to recognize that all the different varieties in our culture, in our world, are beautiful, and they're all part of God's design. God is the one who designed that humanity would be diverse in the way that we look and in our physical characteristics. So we don't want to say we're colorblind. We want to say that we love all the difference that exists with people. Now, that's what we should be able to do. We should appreciate the difference. But again, because of people having corrupted, sinful hearts throughout all of human history, we've been prejudiced against people who look different than us. That's just what people have done. They have naturally um, shown hate towards other people just because of being different. And this culminates in recent history with the Nazis we see in World War II trying to wipe out other people groups, saying we're the superior race and we want to eliminate the world of other groups of people. And, you know, it makes sense that they did that because they talked that way because if you believe that someone else is truly different than you, it's easier to discriminate against them. But what we see now from genetic research and science is that we're really all part of the same race. And you can't play that game anymore. In fact, the UN commissioned a report after World War II to discuss this topic. And the report said this, there is one human race. It would be better when speaking of human races to drop the term race altogether and speak of ethnic groups. I think this is an important thing just to reiterate that really we've got to remember there is one race. And sometimes the way that we use the word race in our culture, I think it almost it contributes to this problem when in reality there is one race. We might have different traits physically. We might have different ethnicities, but we're part of the same human race. There is one mankind created by one God. Amen? We see throughout the Old Testament when we read Scripture that prejudice has always been a problem. And prejudice and discrimination affected God's people 
who were captured, the Hebrew people, were enslaved in Egypt, and they were the victims of incredible prejudice and discrimination. And then what's ironic is that the same people who were on the receiving end of so much discrimination turned around, and they were so prejudiced towards other people groups. It's like, come on. Right? But they were incredibly prejudiced towards Gentiles who were not Jewish or the Samaritans um, who were kind of like their cousins in a way. They were very prejudiced. And what that shows us is that racism and prejudice is not a culture problem. It's not a geography problem. It's not an urban problem, a rural problem. It's not an ancient problem or a modern problem. Racism is a sin problem. It is a sin problem. It is deeply spiritual. And that means that education will not fix this. Culture will not fix this. Art will not fix this. The only fix for a sin problem is Jesus. People need Jesus Christ. That's the only solution to this problem. Here's what we see in Scripture in Ephesians 2.14. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people, one people, one people. When? In his own body on the cross, he broke down the walls of hostility that separated us. That's what I love about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see in scripture that because of sin, we were separated from God. When Jesus came and went to the cross, we know from scripture that the veil in the temple that separated man from God's presence was torn from top to bottom by God the Father in heaven. And he was saying, because of Jesus, you now have access to me again. You can have the relationship with me that you were intended to have. We have that opportunity. So because of Jesus, we see that humanity can also be reconciled to one. Where there was hostility, Jesus brings peace. Where there were walls separating us, Jesus says, I'm tearing down those walls. Where sin has divided us, Jesus has united us. Amen. Come on, we got to give God praise tonight. And I think about growing up in church for many years, and I don't know if you guys remember this, if you were in church back in the day when people would call each other brother and sister. How many of you experienced that, right? Brother uh, Johnson and Sister Susie. And I remember growing up hearing that and like, oh, that's just very formal. And we kind of got away from that. We don't really say that anymore. It's funny if you read historical documents from the Roman Empire when Christianity was starting and springing up, they all thought that we were a bunch of inbred freaks because we were all calling each other brother and sister all the time. <laughs> They're like, we don't know what's going on with these crazy people. But I thought to myself, man, I don't know if it wouldn't be that bad of an idea for us to remember this and maybe even go back to it in some ways, reminding ourselves that because of Jesus, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a saying in our culture, blood is thicker than water. Have you heard that phrase? Meaning that your family ties are always going to be stronger than other relationships. And spiritually, that's also true. That, man, we might have come from different places, we might have different color skin, people might have grown up speaking different languages, but the blood of Jesus is stronger than culture. Jesus Christ, his, his blood covers over different color skin, and through Jesus we are united into one. I love that Jesus brings unity. So we, would, we do need to remember that we're, we're family in Christ, we're united 
I was reminded of this quote by Dr. Martin Luther King that said, we must learn to live together as brothers or perish together as fools. And we have to remember that as Christians, we are brothers and sisters in the family of God. In Mark chapter 12, verse 28, I want to read this in the message translation. Jesus was asked, which is most important of all the commandments? It's a great question. Maybe this guy, he wasn't good, um, a good student, and he wanted to know, like, the cheat sheet for, for being a good Christian, right? Like, what, which are the most important of all the commandments? So Jesus said, the first, is, the first in importance is, listen, Israel, the Lord your God is one, so love the Lord God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. I love that we're supposed to love God with intelligence. God doesn't want dumb Christians. Right? He wants you to read the Bible for yourself and be intelligent. And here is the second. Love others as well as you love yourself. I love this. Right? Like, this is the easiest command to understand and apply to our lives. Right? Because we are really good at loving ourselves. I always laugh and roll my eyes when people tell me, I need to really learn to love myself. Like, maybe I'm just mean, right? But I'm like, no, you don't. You're really good at loving yourself. <laughs> like, we are really, I have never forgotten to feed me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm always naturally just looking out for myself and looking out for my own best interests. And Jesus says, look out for other people. Treat other people as well as you treat yourself. Another translation, which maybe you're more familiar with, says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, in Luke chapter 10, you see there was this religious leader. Um, he was probably a lawyer. He was looking for a loophole. And he went and he asked Jesus, okay, well, who's my neighbor? Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, well, who's my neighbor? So I don't want to have to love people if they're not my neighbor, I guess, right? And so Jesus told this story about the Good Samaritan. And how many of you have heard the story of the Good Samaritan? Some people have. Some people haven't. Um, if you haven't read a lot of scripture, then you might have missed the fact that even the title of this parable is hilarious. Because to the Jewish people whom Jesus was addressing, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. The only good Samaritan to them was a dead Samaritan. Right? And Jesus is like, okay, I'll teach you who your neighbor is. There's a story about a guy who is traveling along, and he gets robbed and mugged and left for dead on the side of the road. And other Jewish men come along, and they pass him by. And in the story, Jesus says, you know, one was a priest, one was a Levite. So these are supposed to be like the, the heroes of society that they pass this, this poor guy by. And then a Samaritan came along, and the Jews hated the Samaritans. They were super prejudiced. And Jesus said, it was the Samaritan who stopped and took care of this guy and carried him to an inn and paid for his care. And all the people that were listening to Jesus talk would have been like blown away. What? The Samaritan is the good guy in this story? And Jesus was just kind of making fun, with it, fun of them, I think, a little bit. He was messing with their minds. I think that's really funny that they got Jesus juked by Jesus, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> he's like messing with them. And the point of his story was your neighbor is everyone trying to play games with Jesus and look for loopholes. He's like, I know what you're trying to do. Your neighbor is anyone, even if they are different than you or come from a different culture or a different ethnicity. But Christians, even though we've heard that, 
we still struggle with sin in our hearts. And so because of that, I think to some extent, all of us have to be on guard against prejudice or discrimination. And I know, I wish it wasn't true, but I know that in many churches across America that this is still a problem. Racism is still a problem. Discrimination and prejudice is still a problem. We see churches that are too segregated when the community is not. We see people who have um, prejudice in their hearts and the way that they treat one another. Or maybe it's even just the way that they look at someone else who's different than them. So we have to fix this problem and do what we can do as Christians to make this better and show the love of God. We have no excuse. We have got to see this situation improve, okay? And so as a Christian, we are called to do this because remember we read that through Jesus, his work on the cross, we are united into one, right? The walls that separated us were torn down. So any Christian who holds on to prejudice in his heart denies the power of the cross and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what we have to do is learn how to love our neighbor. So here's how to love your neighbor in a divided world, if you're taking notes. We want to create unity. We want to be people who bring peace. We want to defeat discrimination. I believe with the Lord's help, we can. The first thing we have to do is seek understanding. Seek understanding. One of the questions that I asked to the different groups who I interviewed, I said, what do you wish as an as a person who's part of an ethnic minority group, what do you wish that more Caucasian Christians understood? And the answer was pretty simple. I wish that more people understood me and what I've been through. Right? Because everybody wants to be understood. Everybody wants to have their life experience taken into consideration. And one of the things that I hear far too often, and I'll be honest with you, it makes me really mad, is when I talk to Caucasian people who dismiss racism and act like it's not a problem anymore. They'll say, like, oh, well, it's not really a problem anymore. And it's like, you're dumb. <laughs> like, if you don't think it's a problem, just because you haven't experienced it doesn't mean that other people don't experience it. So we have to try to seek to understand. I mean, just a couple weeks ago, we see with the NBA Finals starting out, LeBron James, um, his house got tagged with a racial slur. And he said, you know, it doesn't matter if you, how much money you make or how famous you are. It's hard to be a black man in America, right? It's just crazy that he, he was dealing with that and that people deal with stuff like this every day in our country. And, and I think that some people who are ignorant, they say, well, that group of people shouldn't be so defensive. And it's like, all right. The reason that people are defensive is because they've been hurt in the past. They've been attacked. That's why they play defense, right? So you have to try to seek understanding. Like in any loving relationship, we want to seek understanding. If you're a husband and your wife comes to you and says, it really hurt my feelings when you said that, you wouldn't turn to her and say, well, you shouldn't feel that way. Like if you do, you're a terrible husband, you know, you're sleeping on the couch. It's not going to go well for you. So you wouldn't say to someone else, you shouldn't feel that way. If someone else says, I'm, I'm hurt or I have been treated unfairly or unjustly, the loving thing to do as a follower of Jesus would be, oh, I want to understand. And I know that we can't fully understand what it's like to be in someone else's shoes. But listen, we can gain understanding. 
We can grow in understanding. And here's how you do it. You ready for this? It's very profound. You talk to people. <laughs> you talk with people who are different than you. Ask questions. What's it like? Like, what, what, tell me what you went through. What's it like from your perspective? How do you see this situation? We want to have relationships with people, even who are different than us. And I know, I think a lot of people, they, they're willing to do that, or they even want to do that, but sometimes they're afraid. They think that maybe because someone comes from a different ethnicity, like, I don't know what to say, or I don't know if we're going to get along. Don't be like that. Don't be afraid. The loving thing to do is go and, and to reach out and to start relationship. Ask questions. Have conversation. We want to be understanding. Romans 12, 15 says this. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. So prejudice and racism grieves the heart of God, and it should grieve our hearts as well. When we see it happening to other people, we should mourn with them, and we want to be sensitive to other people's past experiences, um, regardless of who we're talking with or, or interacting with. Amen? So we want, to, we want to love our neighbor in a divided world, seek understanding. The second thing we have to do is forgive. We have to forgive one another. This is very important. Um, of course, that there's going to be times that people hurt you in life. There's going to be times that people offend you. Maybe you're on the receiving end of prejudice or discrimination. Maybe it's related to a whole other issue. So this is something for everybody. We have to learn to forgive others. Now, if someone comes at, at you and they're prejudiced or there's hate in their hearts, you have to remind yourself that is coming from sin in their heart. And as a Christian, I need to be mature enough to understand that. And honestly, I should feel sad for that person. Because you know, man, that person has sin in their heart, and they need Jesus Christ. They need Jesus the same way that I need Jesus. And that's something that we need to think about. Okay, well, this is either coming from a position of sin, or maybe someone offends you, and it comes from a place of ignorance. And they say something, they just, they didn't know that they were saying something offensive maybe, or they're not aware, or they haven't really quite had the situation explained to them. And, and, and that's something to take in consideration as well and give other people grace who might offend you out of ignorance. Like when I was interviewing different people, we were, I was asking about, you know, which term do you prefer to have used when describing your ethnic group? And it was very confusing, let me be honest. Like, I was getting different answers from people part of the same community. And I was like, oh, my God, how am I going to preach this message on Sunday? I'm going to offend somebody, right? So I hope I don't tonight. And you got to know that's not what I'm trying to do. But just remember, man, someone might, might offend you out of ignorance, and you have to forgive that person. I interacted with, and I was interviewing different people, but one um, African-American gentleman said, we got to learn to forgive. we got to forgive one another. I, said to, I asked him the question, how would you encourage another brother or sister in Christ who has been on the receiving end of prejudice, who has been hurt by prejudice? And he said, to forgive. you got to forgive. Don't hold on to bitterness in your heart. When you hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness, you give someone else power over you. So let it go and forgive. Ephesians 4.32 says this, be gentle with one another, sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. we got to forgive one another quickly and thoroughly because we've been forgiven that way by God. Amen? Amen. One man reminded me, prejudice can go both ways, right? So this is for everyone. we got to learn to forgive. 
In Ephesians 4.26, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So what that tells you is that as a Christian, it's okay to be angry about racism. We should be angry about racism, even if we're not the ones who are being affected by it. If I see another person being affected by it, I should be angry about that. But in our anger, God says, do not sin. Do not sin. Let it go. We don't want to hold on to that. we got to seek understanding. We want to forgive other people. Here's the third thing we need to do. Practice the golden rule. Who knows what the golden rule is? He who has the gold makes the rules. No, that's not it. It's uh, treat other people the way that you want to be treated, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's what it says in Luke 6.31. That's what Jesus said. This is the golden rule. It's the rule of all rules when it comes to interacting with other people. Just treat other people the way that you want to be treated. And when I interviewed different people, that was the most common response. What's the solution to this problem? Well, I just want to be treated the way that you would want to be treated. That's very simple, just echoing the words of Jesus. And Jesus said, this summarizes all the Old Testament and the prophets. Treat others the way that you want to be treated. And that is also easy for us to apply and understand because we all know how we want to be treated. We want to be welcomed. We want to be embraced. We want to be loved. We want to receive grace, right? We all want that. We all want a fair opportunity. We don't want people to make stereotypes about us or assumptions. Amen? So that's the way that we should treat other people. So how do we do that as Christians? Well, we have to be on guard against any discrimination that might be in our heart, and we must root it out. We have to ask God, Lord, if there's something in my heart that doesn't belong there, root it out of me. You know, one of the things that means is we got to be on guard against any type of joking or inappropriate talk. It's not funny. Right, And I just want to say this to Christians, and I don't care if this makes you mad. If you think racist jokes are funny, it's because you're racist. <laughs> if you think racist jokes are kind of funny, it's because you're kind of racist. R-A-C-I-S-T, that is what you seem to be, you racist. Uh, uh, Right? Like, we cannot tolerate racist joking from anyone around us. We got to stand against that. We got to guard against that. Um, we got to teach our kids what it looks like to show love and to stop discrimination, to put an end to any type of hatred that might be in hearts. And listen, racism and prejudice is taught and it's caught. When you see young people who are practicing prejudice and, and doing hurtful racist things and, and hating their fellow man, they saw that somewhere, either maybe on television or most likely in their home. So we got we to gotta stand against that and listen. I know that some people in this room, maybe you heard those kinds of jokes growing up. Maybe you heard those kind of jokes um, on the, in the workplace uh, or around other groups of friends that you had before, but... This problem will continue and continue until one generation of people will stand up and say, no more. 
I'm not continuing this pattern in my family or in my household. We're not going to continue going down this road. I don't care what I heard my grandpa joke about. I'm not going to allow those kind of jokes in my house. I'm going to teach my kids to love one another. I'm going to teach them to treat people the way they want to be treated. And that's the end. I'm not playing that game. Here at Generation Church, we have to be intentional about showing love to everyone. Because we can't control what everybody else does out in the world, but we can control what we do as a church. So as a church family, we have got to be intentional to show love to everyone, regardless of how much money someone makes, where they come from, what language they speak, how much education they've had, what color their skin is, or their status in society. We need to love everyone the way that God loves them. And we've got to do it on purpose, church, right? Intentionality in this issue is the only way to fix it. And listen, I, I really, I really feel a burden for this issue, and I want to see our church grow in diversity. I want us to grow in this. I'm encouraged to know that God is ending racism. He is. The work of Jesus on the cross began the process when Jesus started to tear down the walls that divided us from God and us from people. The work of Jesus on the cross frees us from bondage to sin, which means that we have the opportunity to break free from hatred and to love people instead. So we know that, that there is hope, amen? And we know that we will spend eternity free from prejudice because in heaven all sin will be gone and a thing of the past, so this will no longer be a problem and it's gonna be incredible. We see a little bit of insight into this in Revelation chapter seven and this is what it says, describing heaven. After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language. All ethnicities, all skin colors, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. That is a beautiful picture of diversity in heaven where different people are worshiping the same God because they've been saved by the same Jesus. That's what heaven is going to look like. And our prayer as Christians is, as Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, right? We want to see your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So when we love each other, we are bringing heaven to earth. And that's what we're called to do. We want to build the kingdom of God and bring heaven to earth little by little. And that's what starts to change our community and it changes society one person at a time as a person places his or her faith in Jesus and their heart is transformed and softened. We are bringing heaven to earth. This church should be a place of refuge for anyone and everyone. This should be a place where everyone knows, regardless of what group they're a part of, what ethnic um, background they have, that I can come to Generation Church and I will be welcomed and I will be loved and I will be treated the same as other people and I'm going to be embraced with open arms and maybe I deal with racism and prejudice at work, but I won't at church, right? Like this is a church where I will be embraced. 
This is our responsibility. And listen, God is calling us to this. And I believe that this weekend is a culture-shifting weekend for our church. That going forward from this point, people will know that love will grow in people's hearts and it will spill out into relationships with other people. And that maybe people who had baggage in their background or had discrimination in their heart will confess that and repent of it before God and will have that hatred replaced with love. I believe that this church will become more diverse and I'm praying for that. I want you to pray for that with me. Before we can reconcile with other people, we have to first reconcile with God. It's impossible to love other people the way that God loves them if you have not yet received the love that God has for you. And we see in Acts chapter 10, how that looks. And I love this because this passage is so relevant for our subject this week. It says, it's God's own truth. Nothing could be plainer. God plays no favorites. In other words, God does not discriminate. It's the same for everyone. It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open. Doesn't matter who you are doesn't matter what background you come from. Think about that. Throughout history, in a world filled with racism and prejudice and discrimination, God said, the door is open to everyone. 2,000 years ago, Jesus went to the cross so that anyone can come to the Father. It doesn't matter who you are. If you want God and you're willing to do what he says, you can come on into the family. So what do you have to do? God tells us you have to confess your sin and acknowledge I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. You have to believe in your heart that Jesus did die on the cross for your sins and that he rose again three days later so that you could have victory. And if you will do what God says, if you'll confess and believe, you will be forgiven and saved. And God says, I'll make you new. I'll transform you into a new creation. So I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads first. Because maybe you're here tonight and you would say, well, that's what I need to do. I need to first fix my relationship with God. I know that I need to be forgiven and I want to be right with him. Maybe, maybe a long time ago you were, but you've been far from God for a long time. And tonight you say, I want to make that right. I want to be reconciled in relationship with the Lord. You can do that tonight and you can take that step of faith. Maybe you feel God pulling you towards him. You feel him drawing him, drawing you towards Jesus tonight. That is the Holy Spirit of God that draws us. So when you feel that desire to be close to God, that is God pulling you towards him. And it's just up to us to say, okay, I submit to you, Lord. I wanna follow you. I'm gonna receive what you have for me. So if you're here tonight and you need to take that step of faith to be reconciled to God, would you pray this prayer with me just as a way of expressing what's in your heart? Say, God, I know that I've sinned and I need forgiveness. I know that I can't save myself. I do believe that Jesus died for me on the cross so that I could be forgiven. And I believe that he rose again on the third day so that I could be victorious over sin and death. Thank you for loving me even when I didn't deserve it and help me to follow you from this day forward. God, make me new. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer tonight, I want to celebrate with you. So I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on the count of three so we can just be excited with you. One, God brought you here for a purpose. Two, because he loves you and he has a plan for your life. Three, just shoot your hand up if you prayed that prayer. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. Love it. That's so great. That is amazing. 
It's the best decision you'll ever make. And we'll have our prayer team at the front of the room after service. If you want to pray with someone, they're here to pray with you. And we should all be willing to come forward and receive prayer when we need it. Nobody should be ashamed to get prayer. God tells us that we should ask for prayer when we're going through any kind of hard time. So take advantage of the prayer team. I'm going to ask you to stand at this time. And I feel like before we go forward in this service, we need to stop and just commit ourselves to being a people of unity and love. Amen. So what I'm going to ask you to do, something I don't normally do, but I'm going to ask you to take the hand of the person next to you. Just join hands with the people around you. If you have to stretch a little bit or move out of your seat, do that. And this is a way of physically showing that we are going to be a church filled with unity and with love. Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray. I'm asking you just to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Lord God, thank you for loving me, even though I didn't deserve it. Help me to love others the same way. God, help us to be a people of unity and peace. Let this church be a light in the darkness for Jesus' glory. Amen. Amen. Let's give God praise. Come on.